way in which the Holy Spirit works. So daily we pray. Daily we read scripture. Daily we uh, seek accountability. We ask God to show us where we are not following Christ. Uh, We meet regularly with small groups of folks who help us to realize that we are not Christ-like yet. Amen? Uh, If I ever think I'm perfect, my husband hastily reminds me I'm not. But we need a group of people to be honest with us and say, man, that's just not very Christ-like. We come to worship week in and week out to, to refocus our lives on Christ and to, and to have a spiritual checkup week after week and to remind ourselves that every day our lives should be an act of worship to God. Whether we're a doctor or a lawyer or a school teacher or whatever our job, we should do in a way that honors Christ and is an act of worship. So that worship is something we do 24-7 if we're truly connected to Christ. And we also take communion. You know, uh, we have long held that Jesus himself comes close in the time of communion and gives us a special dose of his Holy Spirit when we partake. So it's really feeding on Christ and having him just go through every fiber of our being. It's another part of the method. And so as I, as I came to the election, I, I submitted to prayer every day. And I was reminded that, uh, you know, I want candidates that reflect the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul mentions in Galatians. So my prayer is constantly, oh Lord, who exhibits love and joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, generosity, and self-control? And I also remember the words of Jesus, how he said, you know, the Gentiles lord authority over each other, but the true leader in the Christian sense is the one who is servant of all. And so as you go to the ballot box this week, I invite you to be in prayer and to discern yourself who God is calling you to vote for and who represents uh, Christ best in uh, the leading of our municipalities, our cities, our counties our courts, and our state. It's tremendously important. Uh, This week I had an interesting experience that I never thought I'd have. We had the first Council of Bishops meeting down in St. Simons at Epworth-by-the-Sea. And the first thing that new bishops are asked to do is share their call with the whole council so they know how Christ called us to be at this point. And so we divide, there are 15 new bishops, and so there are five from the southeastern jurisdiction. So the five of us planned worship together, and we use that exact hymn, I Sing the Songs of the Saints of God. And we started our talk with, I Sing the Song. And so I thought I'd do that this morning to tell you a little bit about myself and the ba- my background in the faith. But I sing a song of Bernice Conklin Coleman. She was my maternal grandmother. And I still remember as a child growing up in Florida, usually on a beach. We spent lots of time on the beach at night. My grandmother would hold my hand and I, this is like the first memory I have, and it it happened time after time. She would take me as a little child out on the beach at night, and she would look up at the sky, and my grandmother knew every star in the sky, every constellation. She could chart her path anywhere because she knew the night sky any time of the year. And every time she pointed to the sky, she would quote Psalm 8. 
When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you you have created, what are humans that you are mindful of them? What are mortals that you care for them? And she sang over me the love of Christ and the love of God, the, the wonder of creation. And always, always impressed upon me that God loves me. And God loves not only me, but every person that he creates, his beloved creation. What is God that he is mindful of us? We are dust. But he loves us and cares for us. And so she, uh, she, she was an English and a Latin teacher. And she guarded the English language with great fierceness and ferocity. You didn't split an infinitive around my grandmother. You didn't use the English uh, language poorly. You didn't misspell a word. And as a child, we would uh, ask my grandmother, we would open the dictionary and ask her words, and there was never a word she didn't know. She was remarkable. She was also a faithful United Methodist. She worked one day of the week on her Sunday school lesson, as most of us work in our jobs. It was the most important thing she did all week long. She planned for it every bit as carefully as she did for her classes at school, and she saw it as her great gift to the church. I tell you, if every church had 10 Sunday school teachers like my grandmother, the world would be immeasurably better. She taught me about, she had, she had grown up in Oldsmar, Florida. They had gone to, to Florida when she was a child. And Olds, the car maker, had started a car, car uh, factory in Oldsmar, Florida, a little town outside of Clearwater. And they, um, she had six brothers and sisters. And she was the first one to go, in her family to go to college. She went to Florida State College for Women, graduated first in her class, and took off to New York City. She had worked in summer camps for the YWCA, and they had given her a job in New York City. And she hit New York City just as the stock market crashed. And my grandfather had serious health issues, so she had to come home to Oldsmar to help care for her brothers and sisters, to help support them, and uh, met my grandfather and stayed in Florida, and uh, the rest is history, I guess. But she, I think, always had a sense that she never lived into her full potential. That circumstances, the, the health of her father and the crisis in the country changed her life. And so, when I was practicing law and felt Christ's call to ministry, I was working with the homeless at Metropolitan Ministries in Tampa. And I saw that the law was of very little help to them, but the gospel was of tremendous help to them. And when I went to, decided to go to seminary, my parents weren't very crazy about that idea. I was working for a big law firm. I, was done, I had done well. They thought, man, she's secure. There's security there. And then I dropped the bomb on them that I was going to seminary. My grandmother, however, encouraged me. I think she realized that I had a different call on my life, and she told me, you know, Sue, I don't feel like I got to fully live into God's call on my life, but I think you should do it. My grandmother always taught me that there was no limit to what women could do, no limit to what anybody with potential 
should be able to do. And so she encouraged me. I went to seminary. And when she died, six months before I finished seminary, she left me just enough money to finish school without debt. I feel her presence everywhere. She um, had a great love for Christ, and she, she gave that to me. When she died, I felt bereft. I felt like, who's going to be my spiritual mentor? And, and right as I was graduating from seminary, Riley Short, who's the pastor at First Lakeland in Florida, called me. I, see, I was going to stay and go to, go to graduate school and teach seminary because, quite frankly, the local church terrified me. And uh, I had never seen a clergywoman. I'd never seen a woman preach. And so he called me and said, Sue, you know, you preached here on New Year's Day. Would you please consider coming and being on staff at First Lakeland? Uh, We want you to come be our first woman associate, and we're only going to offer the job to you. So I thought, well, I I better take advantage of that. So I went down, and Riley became my new spiritual mentor. And he taught me to love the church, and I had a wonderful experience there. There's no greater power in the world to transform lives, to make disciples. You who are here week in and week out, transform the world. When you proclaim Christ's grace in your workplaces, when you show others the love of Christ wherever you are, when you lift him up high in your families, and I'm so delighted to see so many children and youth here because that is a critical piece, And to to go out in his name to the torn and broken areas all around us. It's vital. Riley Short uh, encouraged me, and uh, when I was elected a bishop, he came and stood with me when I was consecrated. You see, his father was a bishop, Bishop Roy Short, who was bishop of Florida and Cuba. So the lineage continues, and the joy is there. I invite you now to stand for the scripture, and then I just am going to say a few words about the mission of the church and where we go from here. I really uh, wanted to talk about the whole book of Acts, but I figured you'd want to get to lunch, and you'd get awfully tired standing if I read the whole book of Acts. So this this is a sample passage from Acts 20. From Miletus, Paul sent a message to Ephesus asking the elders of the church to meet him. When they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the entire time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, enduring the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. I did not shrink from doing anything helpful, proclaiming the message to you and teaching you publicly and from house to house as I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus. And now, as a captive to the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. But I do not count my life of any value to myself, If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you look at the Gospel of Acts, 
Uh, every church I go to, and, and the churches that I've gone to have always been churches in need of, tra- of transformation, churches who forgot their first love, churches who had turned inward, churches that, well, quite frankly, were fixer-uppers. And what we always started with was the book of Acts. We'd start with the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And, uh, you know, I remind you in the Gospel of Luke that by chapter 4, they're ready to kill Jesus. So it doesn't take him long to make them angry. And then we follow up with the book of Acts because I want to remind the church, I want to remind every church that it's is a Holy Spirit enterprise. It's remarkable in the book of Acts that... Um, Wherever the Holy Spirit goes, the apostles go. Paul wakes up from a dream, and the man from Macedonia says, Paul, go to, come to Macedonia and preach the gospel. Can you imagine being his, his group of, of apostles where he comes up the next morning and says, Hey, we're going to Macedonia. How come? I had a dream. Holy Spirit told me. Crazy stuff. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the Holy Spirit going to Ananias and saying, Paul, who was, who was martyring Christians, Paul, who has been your mortal enemy, Paul, you need to go to him and tell him the gospel. Can you imagine Ananias, how terrified he must be? But the Spirit told him, so Ananias goes, and he, he teaches Paul, And it begins Paul's ministry, and he leads the church all over the world. My reminder to every church I speak in is this is a Holy Spirit enterprise. And the heart of this church's life is prayer. To discern where the Holy Spirit is leading you. Where is the Holy Spirit asking this church to go in its next season? Where is the Holy Spirit calling you? Who has never known Christ in this community? How is the Holy Spirit calling you away from what's comfortable and normal. The other day I met with a group of clergy and they said, Bishop Sue, tell us what is your message that you want us to proclaim? And I said, the message I want you to proclaim is to get out of the seats and to get out into your community and to find the people who have never heard of Christ. That's always been the heart of the church's ministry, to go and to find, to gather in, to to go and, and to forge new paths. And so at your council meetings, at your leadership meetings, in your small group meetings, the question should be, who is not here? What groups are not represented are not represented? Who is voiceless in our community? Who needs to hear about Christ? I say this so urgently because our culture is becoming increasingly secularized, even in this heart of the Bible Belt. There are increasing numbers of folks who have never had exposure to the church or have had exposure to the church that turned them off to the church, and they are unlikely to return without a new word. I remember when I was in seminary, one of my good friends was a law student, and Layla and I were watching TV one day. She had, she's the only person I've never, I've known, well, at the time she was the only person I'd ever known who had no church experience. She was raised by two college professors. And we were watching a, a sporting event together. And do you remember Rainbow Head, the guy with the rainbow-colored wig? And he always held up a sign that said John 3.16. And I was watching that with Layla, and Layla said, Sue, who is John? 
I looked at her, I said, seriously? She said, I have no idea who John is. I said, John is a book in the Bible. And she's like, well, thank goodness, I've always wondered that. And then she said, well, what are the numbers? And I said, well, one's the chapter and one's the verse. She said, well, what's the colon? I said, that separates the chapter and the verse. And she said, oh, the Bible has chapters and verses? I said, yes, John does too. And I took my Bible and I showed it to her and I was stunned. And so I was going to chapel at Emory and every week I would come home and, and, and I would call Lale and I was, I, she'd ask me, well, how was church today? I said, well, you know, today we had the head of the Carter Center come talk to us. She's like, why would you have the head of the Carter Center talking in a church? I said, because they're doing away with uh, worms and rivers all over the world that cause blindness in children. She said, that's pretty cool. But why is he in a church? I said, because the church cares about that, cares about children all over the world who are blinded. She said, really? So each week I'd call her and kind of entice her. Because, you see, she had a heart for humanity. She loved people. She wanted the best for the world. She had a tremendous heart for justice and what's right. She just had no knowledge of Christ or the church. In fact, she saw the church as a kind of threatening place with a bunch of of very opinionated people that kind of scared her. So I did this for many, many months, and finally, Lael said, Sue, could I go to church with you? I said, I think you could. Now, I'm not telling you today that she is a, is a you know, wholly sold-out Christian. I'm not even telling you that she goes to worship re- regularly. But she knows Christ. She's been introduced to him. And she knows that the church is a place where we do celebrate the, the gift of Christ to the world. And God's compassion to all. When I think of my grandmother, I think, you know... If we could have every child take them by the hand and show them the wonders of creation and sing over them the song of the love of Christ that he has for them, that's our job. But there are a lot of children in this community, there are a lot of adults in this community who have never heard that. Last summer I traveled in England uh, to... Look at the fresh expressions of Christianity. You know, the church has declined so quickly in England that they've started a movement. And they challenge people in the churches to go out to places where people normally meet and then to figure out a way to speak to them through prayer. They have the Holy Spirit lead them. They have the Holy Spirit. They go and pray and they discern. You know, there's a, I had a, a pastor in Florida and, and he discerned that the Holy Spirit was calling him to go to Moe's Restaurant. So he started going to Moe's. He took two people, two laity from his church with him, and on Sunday night they went to Moe's, and they started a Bible study. And as people came, they invited them to join. They have 60 people every night at that Moe's now, and 57 of them never knew Christ before they did that. I am challenging every church in this annual conference. Where do people gather in your area? Where is the natural place? I had to establish a Bible study and a way to worship for a traveling swim club in Florida. But where do people need to be? 
go out. Go out. Break out of the walls of your church and go. Go to nursing homes. Go to hospitals. Go to Moe's. Go to restaurants. Go to coffee shops. I got a pastor in Florida at a wine bar. Go to wherever people gather and ask the Holy Spirit, how do we reach them? How do we speak to them? How do we sing Christ's song over them? As a bishop, I have a problem. Well, I'll tell you about Gene Parks. Here's another saint that I want to tell you about. Gene Parks was a retired DS in my first church that I served. The first church I served had 72 retired pastors. They were my greatest fan club. They were amazing folks. But Gene Parks, as I went off to take my first solo appointment in the church, said, you know, Sue, your job is to make disciples for Jesus Christ. That is your full-time job. And unless you're You model that to the people of your church, they won't do it. And he said, you should be able to to meet a person a month. So at least 12 people a year, 12 professions of faith should be as a result of you. And so every year, in the 20-something years since, at the end of the year, I sit down and I am delighted to have had way over 12 professions of faith per year in every church I served. Our job is to tell the story, not be manipulative, not look at people as projects, but to sing Christ's song into lives that need it. The problem I have now is, in my job, I see mostly church people. That's just the nature of the business. So I've been praying in my method, day in and day out, what do I do? Now this is going to rock your world, but that's okay. I realize that I, ver- I live most of the time in hotels. And what the Holy Spirit called to mind was years ago I was reading E. Stanley Jones. Many of you heard of E. Stanley Jones? Oh, that's sad. E. Stanley Jones was the finest lay evangelist ever in the Methodist church. And E. Stanley Jones wrote that every night when he would travel the world as an evangelist, every night he would spend in a hotel bar. He said, those are the loneliest people on the face of the earth. And never has there been such a fertile ground for singing Christ to people. So, I've decided, I'm going to be the bishop of hotel bars. (laughs) Wherever I stay, wherever I go, I will wander in. I will invite the Holy Spirit to speak to me to show me who to talk to, to give me the words. But I expect there are lonely folks there. I expect there are folks whose lives seem empty and depressing and small. So on this All Saints Sunday, I ask you to remember the people who sang Christ to you, who taught you, who invested their lives, who worked really hard. I've had, I've had the horrible task of closing many churches. And I always ask the few, the faithful remnant, remnant, how hard did your ancestors work? And they could tell stories of day in and day out, how they went out and relentlessly went through the neighborhoods and community to gather people to that church. And then they come to the realization that they had quit doing that. And that's what caused the church to stumble and ultimately fail. Many, many folks have sung Christ through the years to you 
to your mothers, your fathers, your grandmothers, your grandfathers, your aunts, uncles, you can name them. I hope you will as you come to communion this morning. They're all here. I've always loved that. In the Apostles' Creed, we say we believe in the communion of the saints. Wherever we gather at Christ's table, they are all here, singing over us, encouraging us, but mostly saying, continue this story. Humans that God is not only mindful of, but desperately loves them. So who's not here? Who needs to be here? Where are the broken places that haven't heard a song in a long time? And how are you singing it? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.